0: You're listening to Moving Forward with Dr. Lynn Swanner. Today's podcast is part of the Flourishing Leaders series, where we explore ways to transform your school community. This podcast is a production of the Association of Christian Schools International. Listen and learn more about flourishing at
1: blog.acsi.org. Today's podcast features Dr. John Eckert, the Koppel Professor for Christians in School Leadership at Baylor University and a Carter Senior Fellow. John's the author of The Nodice Advantage, Fearless Practice for Every Teacher, as well as the book Leading Together Teachers and Administrators, Improving Student Outcomes. I'm excited to have John on the podcast today to talk about the flourishing school's construct of leadership interdependence, where leaders, including board members, have diverse backgrounds and are transparent about and rely on others to offset their weaknesses. I'm excited to have John share his work around collective leadership and insights for Christian schools on creating dynamic leadership teams that do transformative work together. So John, welcome.
0: Thanks Lynn, good to be with you.
1: So to start us off, can you tell us John a little about your work with collective leadership and why this construct leadership interdependence is important to you?
0: Sure, I just wanna start off by saying I really appreciate this focus on flourishing that you and Andy have taken in the book. And I think one of the things that sometimes gets lost are the conditions that allow that flourishing to happen. So I love that you're highlighting that. And this leadership interdependence piece is so important, particularly in the time and education that we're in right now, but I think it's always been important. And so the way I came into collective leadership is really through my work as a, as a teacher and then at elementary, middle school, undergraduate, master's, PhD level courses that you find that you're not going to change anything in any kind of a system if you don't have a group of people all pulling in the same direction. And so instead of seeking buy-in from people that are subordinate to you, which I know most of the time when people use that term, they don't mean to insinuate that they're selling an idea that you just have to get on board with but that's sometimes how it feels. And then you don't get the best efforts of the people on your team. And you also don't tap into the collective expertise of the people who can make that solution better. Now that does make the process sometimes messier. The benevolent dictator can be a very efficient way to lead, but it's very hard in a complex system, which I would say schools are, and especially Christian schools that serve a very broad community. It's not like they're serving just one neighborhood or or one constituency. There's all the layers of church and community and education that if you don't have the collective expertise of the people on your team being brought to bear, particularly on instructional leadership issues, you're not gonna get very far. And whatever you do, you might make some quick, short gains, but it's going to be really hard to sustain. And so there's a lot to learn from people that have expertise in the area that you're leading in. And the last thing I'll say is leadership really has to be about the work people are doing toward shared goals. It's much less about the position or the personality type, because that leads to a lot of myopic approaches to leadership, where we need this broader based understanding of what the organization needs. And so then people that are qualified to do the work step into it and aren't worried like, well, is that my position? Am I the right person to do it? No, do I have the expertise to make this better for kids? And so how can I do my job in a way that glorifies God, so that kids become more like he created them to be?
1: so as you think about you know through your research but also schools that you've spent time with what does it look like for a school for a group of leaders to really do this well to engage in collective leadership to have that interdependent approach
0: especially in this time where there's great opportunity for christian leaders and for christian schools to lead differently through challenging conditions those opportunities are there and we've seen some schools do it. There's a school that we got to visit and they're doing some really interesting stuff with entrepreneurship. And it started as a little coffee cart that made some extra money selling coffee to faculty members. And then that grew into what is now a coffee shop that's at the center of campus that's kind of a welcome point that now spins off significant revenue that pays for other initiatives where students get to lead businesses that serve the community well, and now is greenhouse, organic food, kitchen, locally sourced homemade pizzas that get sold to the community on Fridays from their brick oven that they've been able to pay for with the proceeds that they've created. And so it's hard for me to believe that a head of school who's pretty far removed sometimes from the lived experience of students, would come up with something like that on his or her own. And so that is a great example of this grassroots collective leadership idea that just effervesces up and has been supported by supportive administration because you can't get collective leadership or this leadership interdependence if the people who have the power are unwilling to share it or even more importantly, use that power to come alongside that good idea and catalyze the improvement where they speed up the good work that's going on without themselves being used up because they're not the ones doing the work. They're just coming along and supporting the work of the teachers and students that have this idea that they could do something more for their school. So it started small and it's gotten bigger with the catalytic support of supportive administrators
1: as you think about this, John, that's a, a great example of a really practical thing in schools. What are some challenges do you think that, that schools and leadership teams might face in doing this well, and how could they overcome them?
0: Yeah, I'd say there's at least two or three, and I'll, I'll try to keep this brief. Uh, I think the first one is the status quo if your school has not operated with collective leadership and it's been a prophetic voice from the top that this is where we're going and everyone else follows along and this is a bit of a tough transition so i think we feel like there's no risk to the status quo and i think one of the things that adam grant talks about really well is there's a risk to not changing and there is a risk to changing but it's not there's no risk and then there's risk it's that both have a risk So i think that's one way to overcome that status quo challenge i think the second piece is the willingness of administrators to share power and so in schools there are power dynamics that are real because one person has evaluation status over you and they determine whether you'll be retained or elevated and given more opportunities and so i think there needs to be a desire to work together and let the work elevate what the school is doing and not maintain this power dynamic. The third thing I would say is just capacity. Teachers and administrators that I know are just stretched so thin, particularly in Christian schools where they'll wear 15 different hats in one week. And so there is a element of collective leadership to that, but if it's just putting out fires and trying to keep things afloat, with no margin for anything more, whether they don't have the talent, which is rarely the case, more likely, they don't have the time or energy to do what they need to do. So you've got to figure out ways to restructure work, so that you can prioritize what's most important. So if leadership, collective leadership is work towards shared goals, you've got to create space for teachers and administrators to do that work together toward those shared goals, you can't just keep layering work on top of people who are already stretched so thin, particularly coming out of a pandemic and all of the kinds of social upheaval and the different things that we fight about now that nobody thought we would be fighting about three years ago. That's exhausting. And so the good news is collective leadership is a way through that. And there's hope in that, that we can bring better solutions to bear by doing that work together. So we've got to avoid status quo thinking where that's somehow safe. We've got to be willing to share power, and we've got to find ways to give people margin to have the capacity to do the work they need to do.
1: So I'm wondering as we close, John, particularly on that last one, you know, is there anywhere that you've seen schools doing it well to create that margin? Because I think a lot of leaders, understandably will say, I don't want to give my teachers one more thing. I, I don't want to have one more committee. I don't want to ask for their input one more time. You know, it's sort of this sense of desiring, and I know I was guilty of that as an administrator, of, of desiring to protect my teachers from maybe decision fatigue or something like that. Any good strategies, approaches, things you've seen, structures that work to create that margin and, and help people to sort of move in that direction?
0: Sure and that is an ongoing challenge. I'm sure that it's, it's only getting more complicated as schools are asked to do more and more. They continue to fill a bigger and bigger portion of students' lives and so it's very hard to think about not just expanding the plate. I think the first thing is, a, is an ideological shift that before you add anything, I say you don't just take one thing off, you take two or three things off. Because if you really want, and I've seen administrators doing that, and so whether it's giving students more autonomy in a period to do the work that they need to do and then go seek out the teacher who can then do more of the work that he or she is really gifted at doing with students instead of giving them another prep, they're giving students, especially high school students, more of a college feel. That's one way to give students a more meaningful learning experience. And then also give teachers time to dive deeper on certain areas where they they don't have to just meet another demand. So that's one place where that's something that can come off. Uh, I think it's thinking differently about the way we use our resources. Are there things parents can do? Do faculty members always have to do the ticket taking, concessions duties, the kinds of extra duty things that there might be ways to creatively think about bringing in community members, bringing in students, letting students take some ownership? Sometimes, bringing students into leadership can mean more work for faculty. But there are times where you get into a well-run system, like the example I gave about the coffee shop. That is legitimately student-run. The amount of work that's done there it does require faculty supervision. But those students have taken some of those responsibilities off and students want those opportunities as opposed to putting something else on a faculty member, students might be able to take that. And sometimes parents can too, although parents are stretched pretty thin right now as well. So that that requirement can be tough. I guess the last way I've seen schools do that well as an administrator, not engaging faculty in things that they don't really have a passionate interest in or expertise in there are some things that administrators and boards just need to do one thing that i would see an example of that is is like however you're doing transportation there are really complicated structures in place where some christian schools can get city busing or there is no busing there's like navigating title two dollars knowing all those back-channel things that are administrative technocratic things, teachers don't need to be involved in that. And so getting people that have capacity to do that and taking that burden off of teachers so that you can bring in some more resources so they can do what they're really good at, that can help create some margin in that they're not getting stuck with things that are not helpful. Because ultimately, for me as a professor and as an educator, My favorite aspect of administrators were administrators that took things off my plate. So I would even, if I had to choose somebody who wants to bring me into every decision-making process or somebody who's gonna give me space to do what I do well, I will take the space, but ideally you would get both where can i enter into the conversation and add value and where can you take things off so i can focus on what i'm really good at so that i do what god's gifted me to do to help kids do what they're gifted to do
1: so john you know one of the things we've talked about with the research and i know that is is kind of the power of it is that this construct of leadership interdependence and in fact you know all the 35 constructs are links they're correlated with flourishing outcomes in christian schools and so we know that's very particular about our schools. And I'm I'm interested in why do you think that is? Why do you think this might be particularly important when we think about Christian schools?
0: Yeah, well, so I'll start first. You know, again, my whole career has been split between public and private school. I've been in 26 years and I now I think this year I've hit my 13th year working in private Christian universities. And so I still work in public schools. Um, And so I'm going to start there, because in 2010, the Wallace Foundation came out with a study that collective leadership is more effective than traditional forms of leadership for student outcomes, which, of course, are measured as only student test scores. Well, it makes a lot more sense to me that Christian schools would get better results with this leadership interdependence or collective leadership, because we care about the holistic development of a child who's made in the image of God and in order to flourish to become all that they were created to be, we're gonna to need to pour in more than just math and reading because we care about more than that result. And so if you look think about First Corinthians twelve, you know as the body of Christ, we all serve different purposes. And so you can't as a singular leader, no matter how talented or heroic you are, you cannot meet all the needs of the people in the body. So if we think about Christians as a whole, we all have different purposes to serve. And the students we serve also have different purposes to serve. And so in order to help them function to their greatest capacity so that they build the body of Christ, it makes sense that you have multiple people pouring into kids with the gifts that have been God given to them so that those kids then can flourish as well.
1: Well, John, thanks so much for being with us today, giving us some insight on this construct. It's always great to chat with you. So thanks again.
0: Thanks for having me, Lynn. Thanks for the book as well.
1: And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well. Please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the blog, again, at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education forward.